0: It is a glorious morning for us to be gathered together to praise and and worship and learn from our great God. And I'm so thankful to see each and every one of you here. I would invite you to open your Bibles up and follow along with our study this morning. We are going to be reading from the book of Joshua. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Joshua this morning and kind of do um, a little bit of a survey through the book. Uh, to learn a little bit about the character of the book's namesake. But before we get into that, I want you to think back uh, in your minds. Maybe you don't have to think back very far. Have you ever had a job that everyone did whatever they wanted to do? There was no structure. There was no um, working together to meet goals. It was just everyone is their own boss. Everyone is going their own ideas, everyone has their own plans, everyone does what they want to do. Towards the end of my time at Lockheed Martin, I'm thinking back on this, it was been four years almost, uh, in in October it will be four years since I left my my previous job at Lockheed Martin. And towards the end of that time, about the last year that I was there, um, we were going through a bit of management shift. Um, we had received uh, a new contract and the contract previously had been held by a larger defense or a different, I should say, defense company. And we had transitioned over into Lockheed Martin and Lockheed Martin had said, we want AGM to take this. And AGM did a really terrible job and Lockheed Martin said, we want this back. And, and so you just have all of this bouncing around. And in the meantime, supervisors are coming and going. And so there came this point. Uh, where everything became very much in disarray. They had people that would go out to do jobs that someone else had already done, and, and then we had other jobs that sat over here and nobody was doing them. We, <coughs> excuse me, we had deadlines that were being missed. We had uh, products that were piling up, and, and we had things that were getting misplaced. And when it comes to, to government assets, that becomes a very big problem very quickly, Um, Not only things that were getting misplaced, we even had things that were getting stolen. And so it just became this huge mess and everyone knew what was wrong. There was no leadership. We needed someone to step in, step up, and take charge. But the problem was, while everyone saw that that needed to happen, nobody wanted to be the person that actually did it. Or there were very few that thought that they were capable of doing it. First of all, there was this problem that we had someone who technically held this position and they weren't doing a very good job leading us. They didn't have very good experience and, and in fact they'd only been doing this for a short while and, and because they held the title and because they had the extra paycheck, you know, we, we looked at them and said, well, they should be doing it and since they're not, it's not going to happen. I hope you can, you can just kind of imagine all this leads to a less than ideal work environment morale was low people were stressed people who usually got along were not getting along there was fighting there was bickering and even our customers noticed there's something happening here that's not right now having said all that what I hope for us to see in our study this morning is the same can be true within a church if we're not careful The same can happen within the family of God. The church needs leadership. And God knew that, and so God establishes an eldership. And we need an eldership at Lake Street. But I want us to focus today. I hope that we know that we need that. I hope that all of us know that we must be working towards that, that it's absolutely necessary for us to be a striving congregation. And I hope that as men, we are preparing ourselves for that role. And I hope that as a congregation, maybe if we're not qualified for that role, that we're encouraging other people who are to work towards that. Letting them know that we we would desire for them one day to be an elder and a shepherd and a pastor of this flock. But what I want us to really see today is just because God has ordained elders over every church, doesn't change the fact that the church needs leadership in many different ways as well. And every single one of us here today can be a leader in some way. And so what I'm asking us to do is to think of ourselves as someone that can lead somebody else. When you think of someone who leads, what do you think of? Do you think of a person in your life that motivated you? A person in your life that that picked you up? A person in your life that pressed you on towards towards some some something that made you better, something that made you stronger? Maybe it was in your your athletic life. Someone a a, a coach, a friend, a a, a co player. Um, Lost the word that I was thinking of just then. Someone that's on your team, a teammate, maybe it's somebody like that that was like, you know what, well, you can do better and you can run harder and you can hit the ball farther and you can shoot better and you can be a better sports player. Maybe it was somebody like that and they led you in that way. Maybe it was someone in your life like a family member, a spouse. Someone that picks you up and that presses you. Maybe it was somebody in the government. Maybe there was a presidential leader in your mind in the past that used to that person really was an example of leadership for this country. Maybe it was even somebody in a military career. Maybe it was somebody that helped you, that you served under, under that helped you to grow as, a, as, as a, a person in that or maybe even saved your life in some way. Well, my point in bringing all of this up is there's many different types of leaders. And we need to see that. We need to see that there are many different ways that we can lead people. And I also hope that what that does is it draws us our minds to the Bible to say, well, what kind of leaders do we find in the Bible? Because recorded in the Bible are some of the greatest leadership qualities ever known. In fact, many of the great leaders of our day, whether or not they admit it or not, have modeled themselves after leaders of the Scripture. And so we think maybe of Moses. Moses was a, very much a leader. He led a very large nation out of Egypt into, into the promised land, or to the borders of the promised land. But he did so with persistence. I want you to think of how many times did he meet opposition from Pharaoh who said, no, they're not going. Or said, yeah, yeah, I'll let them go, but then changed his mind. and said, No, 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 I'm, I'm not going to let them go now. How many times did He take this people and as they traveled through the wilderness, listen to them say, we want to go back. We're done. We're, We're tired of this. God doesn't like us anymore. He's led us out here to die. Persistence. Moses did not become discouraged with all this. He said, no, there is something that we're working toward. And He led this people. What about Ruth? You think of Ruth, do you think of a leader? She was a woman who was driven with humility. She was a woman of great character. When she was convicted... Naomi, her mother-in-law, says, you and Orpah, your sister-in-law, you all need to leave. You need to return to your people after the death of their husbands. She says, don't stay with me. Go back to your people. But Ruth stays. She remains. And I imagine she had many questions. And I imagine that everyone else leaving would have looked like the right choice. But Ruth was determined to stay with Naomi. Naomi. But not only was she convicted about that, remember what happens when she gleans in the field, she meets Boaz, a relative of Naomi's late husband, and he notices her, and he takes favor towards her. And because of her love for her mother-in-law, he looks at her kindly and, 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 and he sees her character. And I want you to see what happens next. You might think that, that Boaz, he, he's looking on her with all this favor, and this might cause her to be a little puffed up a little bit, but that's not what happens. She begins instead of thinking more of herself, and instead of slacking off from what she was doing for Naomi, she does even more. She continues to work hard, and this winds up with her being invited by Boaz for a meal, and eventually being married to Boaz. And all of this, and through all this, she continues. She continues in the conviction that she had to be. Kind and to be loving towards this woman that had been a a character to her. And so we see two roles of leadership there. The leadership of Naomi, but also the leadership of Ruth. That she is leading other people in her actions. But also I want to talk about the one that we're going to be reading so much about today, and that's Joshua. Joshua has so much recorded about him of the way that he influenced and led Israel. I want you to think for just a moment about Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, verses 29 through 31, we read these powerful verses. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old, and they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Ge- uh, Gaish. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua... And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. I am fully aware, as we read through these accounts today, I am fully aware that much of Joshua's influence is due to God being with him. Is due to many great works that God did through him. Think of the parting of the Jordan River as the Israelites crossed into Canaan. Think of the fall of the walls of Jericho. Think of the day that the sun and the moon stood still. These are miraculous things that happened around Joshua. How could people not look to him? But he also deserves credit. Because from the very beginning, the promise of God's support was based solely upon Joshua's faithful obedience to the Word of God. In chapter 1, in verses 1 through 9, that's what he's telling him. In fact, as he tells him in verse 6, "...be strong and good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go." And so Joshua stands then, even though God is working through him, he stands as an example of a remarkable and great leader, and every generation ever since has needed great leadership. Especially in times of struggle and in times of doubt. And we don't have to look very far on a global scale to see feelings like that, types of feelings Drawing closer and closer to home. There's a very real need for leadership in our society today. We talked about it in our Bible class. The things that happen in our society that, that can even cause us to change the way that we think about things. Our society is, is more and more leading us away from a faithful society to a society of doubt. A society of, of, of fear. A society of we'll do what is, whatever's right in our own eyes. And we need leadership. But even this congregation... Here at Lake Street, we've been blessed. In the past couple of years, it is, it is impossible to see that there has been growth here. And yes, we've suffered some hardships as well. We've suffered the loss of loved ones. We've suffered the unfaithfulness of, of brethren and those who have, have turned away from the faith. But we've also suffered, or we've also endured great blessings as well. And we have been blessed with many little ones. It's hard not to hear all the, the feet that scurry up the stairs telling you, as a teacher, I've gone over time. I've went way too long. That's a blessing. And we have little ones that are giving their, their, their life to God and, and, and following in after the, the footsteps of Christ. And these, these things, we need to see these as blessings, but what I hope what we really see is this church needs leadership. These children need leadership. The parents here need leadership. All of us here need leadership. and we have those who are mature in life. We have those who come from a very different perspective as, as some of the rest of us that have in, endured so much. We, we're talking about that in class too, about how things change over time and how temptations change over time. And, and we have those that have endured things that I have never endured, life that, that has been lived, that I haven't lived. And guess what? They need leadership. The mature of this congregation need leadership as well. We all need leaders. We all need someone who will encourage us. We all need someone who will provoke us and, and poke us when we start getting still and we're not moving. We need someone to get us going again and pushing us. We need someone to admonish us. And sometimes we need people to rebuke us. But we, what we need really is people that care. People that care enough about us that they will stand with us. They will stand behind us. And need be, they'll stand in front of us and try to stop us from doing something that we shouldn't do. We need leaders. And Joshua is an excellent role model of what leadership looks like. And so I want to get in just very quickly look at some things that are qualities of Joshua that lead me to say Joshua is an amazing example of our leadership, of what we should look for in leadership and what we should be in leadership. Number one is we see Joshua is a man of humility. A man of humility. I want you to just, just think back. Exodus 24, you have Moses is leading Israel. And how is Joshua a part of that? Over and over again, he's a part of it as being an assistant or a servant. Exodus 24, verse 13, Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. Exodus thirty three, eleven, after Moses leaves from the presence of God, he takes his servant Joshua with him. I want us to start there and realize that great leaders are people who have no problem serving others. It's that servant's heart that strikes at the very ability for someone to actually stand up and be a great leader. Someone who says, it's all about me, it's all about my perception, all about what you think about me. I have to be the greatest. I have to be the best. They're not really doing a whole lot to lead others. They may inspire some people to try to be the best too, but they're not leading them Anywhere they really need to go. They're focusing on their self. They're focusing on where I can take myself. And if you follow along, that's great, but I really don't care about you. I care about me. That is not the picture of Joshua. Joshua cares. He cares for Moses. And he cares for helping Moses. And he cares for the children of Israel. And he wants to lead them. He wants to help them. He has has worth tied up in them. That is to say that they are valuable to him. And so as leaders, we need to be able to have, see value in the people that we hope to leave, and we have to be willing to serve. I want you to consider a few things about Joshua that lead me to also say that he, is, that he was a humble man. In Joshua chapter 3, and in verse 7, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now I want you to just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. Someone, you know, the, the voice of God calls out to you and says, this day, this day I'm going to begin to exalt you. This day I'm going to begin to lift you up so that everyone else will know that you're going to be like Moses. All right. Making me feel pretty good about myself. God is speaking to me, and not only is He speaking to me, He's saying, hey, you're going to be the top dog. You're going to be the leader. He also says in chapter 4, verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. We see big things happening in Joshua's life. Surely, this is going to make him puffed up. Surely, this is going to go to Joshua's head. Surely, they're going to, they're going to have to open both sides of, of, of the door to get him to roll out of the, out of the room. But that's not the case. Because in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, We see just what kind of man this produces. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, it says, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. So you have the commander of the army of the Lord talking to the commander, the leader of the children of Israel. The two great commanders are standing looking at each other. And look how Joshua responds. He fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, Why does my lord say to his servant? What does my lord say to his servant? And his response in verse 15 was, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Even as a great leader, God has exalted him. People fear him. He was humble enough to recognize where all this came from. It's not me, it is God that has done this. Great leaders remember who they were before and how they got to where they are. And when they're praised, they remain humble. And when they are needed, they serve. That's why I say that Joshua's humility makes him a great example for leadership today and for us to look for and demonstrate in our lives. He's also a man of faith and a man of great trust in God. When you think back to Numbers chapter 13, you remember that the children of Israel are going to spy out the land of, of Canaan. And they have come to the, to the borders and they've sent out this, this group of spies, the 12 spies, they go out. And you remember that some of them demonstrated a lack of faith by giving a bad report. Verse 25, it says, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And they now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word of them to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him, and they said, We went to the land where you send us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the bank of the Jordan. They come back and they say, yeah, it's it's as good as you said it was, but look who lives there. Look at the opposition. Look at the trouble. Look at what's going to defeat us. But despite all the pressure that they were under, and all the pressure that I, I, I have to believe that Joshua and Caleb felt during this time, I want you to think about how they respond and how they demonstrate great faith in God. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 5, after all this is said, it says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, but Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. if the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The ten come back and they say, look at the people. Joshua stands up and says, look at God. Look at who our strength is. You don't have any reason to be afraid. God has already beat them. They're our bread. Their protection's gone. You're looking in the wrong place. And this has continued to be demonstrated then once the people finally do cross over into the land of Canaan. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, we read the amazing account of the destruction of Jericho. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See... I have given Jericho into your hands its king and the mighty men of valor. And you shall march around the city, all, the, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do for six days. The seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram, ram's horns before the ark. And the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast... When the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. I want us to understand the city of Jericho is a menacing sight. Maybe more so than we have ever seen in our civilization today, in our society today. We don't build things like this, similar to this today. The city of Jericho is terrifying looking to an army that's coming up against it. And it was meant to be that way. Just by its own sight, it meant to impose fear that you're not going to get us. We're going to get you. You don't come in here and you don't attack us. It's a city set on a tell. And a tell is a very large mound. And so what I want us to just picture for a minute what they are going up against. The mound is surrounded by a a rampart and that rampart has at its base a retaining wall that holds it all back. So you have this great earthen embankment, I'm hitting buttons that I don't want to hit, this great earthen embankment right here, this rampart, and what's holding all that back is this huge retaining wall. And the retaining wall was, is estimated to have been around 12 feet high, and then they set on top of that retaining wall, so you have to climb 12 feet just to get up to the ramp that gets up to the city, and on top of the, uh, of the retaining wall is this huge lower wall. This lower wall that was anywhere from 20 to 26 feet high and 6 feet thick. You could probably set a cart on top of this thing and and have all sorts of rocks and stuff to lob over on the people below. But not only is it surrounded by that, once you get up that and you get up this rampart which was filled with usually with gravel and stuff that was slippery, and the whole time you've probably got people slinging arrows at you and trying to kill you, you come to a second wall. And the second wall is just like the first. It's another 20 to 25 feet tall. And so we have like this this total of like 60 feet of wall that they have to somehow get over. And we we can understand now, Moses tells them in Deuteronomy 9, verse 1, he says, you're going to go dispossess lands and cities that are fortified to heaven. Jericho is fortified to heaven. You have this huge, huge wall that you have to somehow get over. And this is what they're dealing with. But we know the outcome of the story. The people march. The trumpets are blown. And these, these great walls come tumbling down. But what was it that made the walls fall? I watched a, a, a documentary one time about you know, the unearthing the truth of Jericho and they examined all the things well this this large army of people marching and stomping and shouting and maybe the the horns will try to get a shofar and we'll blow it and we'll, we're going to see what frequency it takes for for these walls of this nature to come tumbling down and they they did all of these scientific testing and it was really fascinating and it was a, this hour-long thing that probably was just a waste of my life, but I loved it. I was like, that's really cool. And at the end, they were able to crumble this really tiny little section of wall with the right frequency of pitch that probably was never, ever, ever made by any human being blowing on a trumpet or on a horn. And they said, see, it's possible. What made those walls fall was not the marching. It was not the trumpets. It was not, it was not the shouting. God Made the walls fall. But Hebrews 11, verse 30 takes it even farther. He says, and the Hebrew author says, it was by faith the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. By faith. Joshua has learned a lesson in his life that all leaders need to realize. You can't place your faith in men, you can't place your faith in yourself, because I guarantee you, both of those one day at some time are going to disappoint and are going to fail you. Where can you place your faith? You can place it in God, who has never failed His promises. We must trustingly look to God. Another quality that we see that made Him a great, man, a, a great leader is that He was a man of God's Word. We talked about this just a, a little bit ago in verse 7. God says, Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. How is He supposed to do that? How can He be expected to do all that the law said? Well, in verse 8, We read, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. He's finding out that if you want to do the law, you want to be able to keep all the things of the law, you want to have a mind on the law, you have to be in the law. And he wasn't just to read it. Sometimes we just like I've got to get my Bible reading in. He says, meditate on it. Read it and think about it. Read it and and spend time dwelling on it. Spend time ruminating on it. In fact, come back to it again and read it a second time if you have to. All the time. Both day and night. And the evidence then of someone who meditates upon the Word of God. Someone who spends time thinking about what God has said. Thinking about what God has done. Thinking about what God wants for them as is recorded in Scripture. We can see that in their lives. It has an effect. And the effect that God was telling Joshua is if you'll do these things, you can keep the law as Moses kept the law, as my servant before you. And I want you to see how Joshua was true then to the Word. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 12-15, through 15, it says, To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on the side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed all your mighty men of valor and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest. So He gave you And they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. What does he do? He says, number one, I remember the the agreement that you have with Moses and with God that you're going to stay on this side of the Jordan. But I'm going to remind you. This is the quality of a leadership that's a man of God's Word. I'm going to remind you of your responsibilities towards God. I'm going to remind you. Things that you said that you would do, and that God commands of you, in Joshua chapter eight, in verses thirty through thirty-five. Listen what he says there. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of which, whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests and Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law the blessings and the cursings, according to all that was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Joshua is not just reading the word to them. Joshua is not just say, saying, Do you all just, I want you to remember everything. He's renewing the covenant. The sacrifices, the the, the, the Pronouncing of the blessings and the pronouncing of the curses at the locations of Ebal and Gerizim. This is the covenant God made with them, and he is reminding them that they're covenant people in a covenant relationship with a covenant, covenantial God. And this is very important to being a leader. In Joshua chapter eleven, verse 15, we also read. As the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. This is a summary of the devotion of Joshua towards the law of God and towards the requirements of God, even at the end of his life. We read at the end, in Joshua 24, and also in Joshua 23, we have we have comments towards the end of his life. He continues to be an encouragement to the nation of Israel, telling them, heed God's word. In verse 6, it says, Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And in verse 14, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and I know in all your hearts, and you know in all your hearts, and in all your souls, that not one thing is failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until He has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which He commanded of you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, and the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which He has given you. He is encouraging them and He is admonishing them. You remember, God has never failed. You think back to the wilderness. You think back to Jericho. You think back to all the battles. You think back to everything God has done. He has never failed. And if He has never failed, you can be confident that as long as you obey Him and as long as you follow Him the way that He has asked, you will be blessed, but you can also be confident when you turn away, you're going to be punished. John... uh, Joshua is busy showing that the Word of God is uh, is able and and can produce faith in the life of one that spends time in it. For leaders, we have to listen to the charge given by God to Joshua. We should listen to it and be people that meditate on the Word of God and do so day and do so night. But closely related to being faithful and trusting in God and being a man after God's word also requires us to be a man of prayer. And we see that in Joshua often praying for the people's failures. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, in Joshua 7, verses 6 through 9, this comes on the heels of their defeat at A'i. It says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on this side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name. After the destruction of Jericho, the people were given a command. They said, don't take anything. This is a a desolate city, but it is a city dedicated to God. So don't take anything from the city except the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron, and that is to go into the Lord's treasury. But nothing else is to be built here, and you're not to take anything else from it. That's not what happened. Some of them take, took stuff from this. And so because of that, God's not with them in this first battle following that up. And, and many of them die. And afterwards, Joshua and the elders, they plead with God. And they plead with Him on behalf of Israel. What are we going to do? We're, we're all going to die if, this, if, if You are not with us. And they plead for Him on behalf of His own name. How can Your name be glorified, Lord? That's where His focus is at. But we also see him pray not only at, when, when things go bad, we see him praying in the middle of hardships as well. In Joshua chapter 10 and verse 9. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makkadah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. <clears throat> then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And He said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ayalon." So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there had been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Joshua's trust is made evident here. Whenever they're in this battle and he recognizes it's not going to be my strength, it's not going to be us that's going to give us the victory. I need to look to God for help. And in the middle of battle, in the middle of fighting, He prays that the sun and the moon will stand still. Joshua had not been a man of prayer. I'm not convinced that the help of the Lord would have been provided. The leadership of Joshua says, I need all the help I can get. And that way, I know that that help's got to come from God. He needed to be a man of prayer, and we need to be a man of prayer if we're going to be leaders in our families and leaders in this community and leaders in this church. Lastly, it should be evident that we've already looked at Joshua modeling many other leadership qualities, but the one that seems to me to be most important of all is Joshua was a man who put God first in his life. He didn't care what others might do. You think back to the, to the spies. They're facing death to stand up and say, he didn't care about that to, enough to let it stop him. He knew where his priorities lied. And in Joshua chapter 24, In verses 14 and verse 15, think about what he says there. Now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want you to think about, just for a moment, we love that verse. That's a wall-hanging verse, a coffee mug verse, right? That's the verse, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I like the verse that happens next. Verse 16, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What happens in the lives of people that have placed leaders who have put God first in their life? they draw closer to God too. That's what we see happening in the life of Joshua. That when he is placed in a role of leadership, and he is a man of humility, and a man of faith and trust, a man of God's Word, a man of prayer, a man who put God first, it draws other people to do the same thing. But Joshua wasn't alone in these things. If you'll remember, verse 31, it said the elders who outlived him, of chapter 24, the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel, they continued to serve the Lord as well. As long as the elders who were contemporary with Joshua survived, the nation as a whole served the Lord. And what that tells me is Joshua wasn't some supernatural man. Joshua was a man just like you, just like me. He was a person who was capable of possessing the qualities of leadership just like we are. And so you might think to yourself, I can never be a leader. But let me ask you, can you be humble? Can you be a person that puts faith and trust in God? Can you be a person that is devoted to God's Word and to reading it and studying it and think about it? Can you be a person that's devoted to praying? Praying to God? Praying for the help? Praying for success? Praying for for blessings? Can you be a a, a person... Who puts God first in your life. Because if you can do these things, then I want you to know this morning you can be an excellent leader. You can be the kind of leader that this generation is begging for and this generation needs. You can be the leader that this community needs. You can be the leader that these children need. You can be the leader that this church at Lake Street needs. And so this morning, I'm calling all of us to dare to lead like Joshua led. To make that a goal in our lives. I also want to say this morning, one more note about Joshua. Uh, and then we will, we will sing the, the invitation song. Number nine in your supplements. We'll be turning to that and singing that in just a moment. But Joshua, his name was changed by Moses. Initially, his name is the Hebrew word Hosea, which means salvation. And Moses at some point seems to have changed it to Yehoshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. But usually the way it's described is Yeshua, which is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek name Jesus. We have a leader even in times when we feel like there's no leadership in our lives, even in times when we look around at our society and we feel like the the whole world has lost its mind, we have a leader. Just like the children of Israel had a leader. We have a Christ who gave His life for us and has called us to follow Him. Follow in His footsteps. To follow in paying a price. He paid a cost that none of us can pay. But if we follow him, he tells us that he will cause us to count the cost, to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and to die with him. His apostles would follow after, would later talk about how dying to self and living for Christ involves this idea of believing that he is worthy of following, that he is a leader that deserves us choosing to follow after him because he is the very Son of God. And that realization should cause us to turn away from our lives that we have lived before and turn to Him in obedience. Which means that we're going to put away the old man of sin. And put on a new man. A new life. Put on Christ in baptism. This morning, if there's some way that we can help you to choose to follow a true leader. Or if you have been following Him but you realize you've not been leading your family, your your friends, your, your, your church... You've not been leading others the way that you know that you can. And you would like the prayers of the saints here to help you to make the decision to do a better job at that in the future and to lift you up and to lead us as we need to be led. That's our attention for this this morning. That's our desire. And if there's any way that we can help you with that, won't you please come forward and let it be known as we stand and as we sing.